just like God. Last night when I was praying about the little message that's coming this afternoon, I thought, oh, I wish I'd asked somebody to sing that song. I had no idea that they were going to sing that today. But that's going to be the theme of this service. Every chain is going to be broken. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Praise God. You may be seated. Continuing with our theme of together. I am so excited to have our superintendent's wife. She's so excited to be ugly with me here. I keep telling her she is a wonderful speaker, and she keeps acting like I'm lying, and I am not. I love her very dearly. She's one of my dearest friends, and I just, I just can't say how much I love Sister Parrish. I'm so thankful to have our superintendent's wife come and speak to us. Together, we will rejoice. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I just told Sister Churchill, uh, we'll be lucky if I don't pass out. And I'm so glad to be here, and I'm so glad to see all of your beautiful faces. And Sister Agee told me that so far there's been 121 registered, which is a wonderful, wonderful number. Wonderful number. And uh, I want to thank Sister Churchill for organizing all of this and making it so wonderful and the little goodie bags that everybody got full of chocolate candy and other kind of candy. And, uh, and also, uh, I want to thank Sister Churchill not only for uh, being the president of the ladies' ministry, but the, also the burden she has for our youth and other things, she takes care of a lot of other things just besides things that have to do with the ladies. And she's uh, come up with the program, you know, to let our young people go from place to place. And it's been a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing. And uh, she also handles things at the campground, and she does all kinds of things. And I appreciate her for her love of God, her love of people, and I hope she lives on forever. And I'm glad to see so many ladies were able to come, and if Sister Heather was here. But thank you, Life Church, for letting us have our retreat here at the beautiful church in Anchorage so we can shop and eat at the Golden Corral. <laughs> and it's, I know Sister Stacy Sprague isn't here, is she? No. But if she was here, uh, she just touched my heart so much. She always does. But together we win souls. And I, I just thank her for loving the lost like we all should. And every time I hear her speak, I wonder if I can really make it to heaven. Because of the things she does. Her burdens for the lost makes me feel ashamed that I haven't done more. And so I just want to thank her. She's not here. But thank Sister Stacy Sprigg for reminding us that our real mission is winning the lost, winning the lost. And uh, uh, let's see, um, I did that, did that, did that, did that. 
I'll mark them off as I go. Okay, and so um, uh, my topic is Together We Rejoice. And uh, I am rejoicing uh, just because I'm not, that I'm here and I'm not in jail. Uh, because um, I'm not familiar. I come to Anchorage a lot, but I'm not, uh, the place where our hotel is, I'm not really familiar with that area of town. And so my little iPhone Google person, I'll say, take me here, take me there, take me everywhere. And so it's worked out really um, pretty good, you know, until last night when I left church here. And so uh, on the way home, uh, I had put, take me to this place. And so um, we got going, and we got going, and I thought we were passing Spinard Road, and I thought that was the road, you know, we go down, but I thought, who am I, you know, to know that? I know that uh, the Google person will know better. So I went on for a little while, and then um, I saw this sign saying uh, the airport. And uh, as I kept going, there was no place to turn around, and I ended up at... Um, the uh, the airport where the little planes come in, I I went into there. <laughs> I went into there. It was dark. It was raining. There was nowhere to turn around. I was like, Lord, I was praying. Jennifer was like, Mom, everything will be okay. I was like, No, it isn't. <laughs> and um, uh, so uh, uh, finally, I get turned around. But this wasn't the place, you know, like where where you go and you park and everything. This was on the tarmac of where the little planes fly out and land. <laughs> and I'm just thankful that there wasn't a policeman come by and arrest me, wondering if I was going to drop a bomb somewhere or something. And so uh, we did finally get turned around and uh, I get back. And I, every time I say, I am not leaving this room again. I'm not going anywhere. Next year I'm going to stay where I usually stay at a hotel that just is like, you know, keeps on the, the right road and I'll know where to go. And so uh, it just doesn't get any better than that. And so uh, the topics that are being shared... Uh, at this retreat are together we win souls, together we give, together we serve, together we laugh. And my topic is together we rejoice. And I could have rejoiced a lot more if Sister Churchill had not asked me to speak. <laughs> and I have explained to her numerous times that I'm not a speaker, but she refuses to listen to me. I know that everyone here has gifts and talents, and we should use them to the best of our ability. And I know what my gift is, and I use it all the time. And it's probably a lot of your gifts. My particular gift is listening, and especially listening to other people who have the gift of speaking. <laughs> so I say, let the speakers speak and the listeners listen, and we'll all be happy. Raise your hands if you agree. So, together we rejoice. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And also rejoice means meaning to express joy. So, how many of you have ever heard these words? Congratulations, you made the team. You've been awarded a scholarship. Will you marry me? Great job on closing that deal. You've just won an all-expense-paid vacation. 
there's no sign of cancer. These are some of life's sweetest moments when all is right with the world, all your hopes and dreams come true, and your heart nearly explodes with happiness. You could make your own personal, it doesn't get any better than this, commercial. But what about the times when nothing seems to go your way? Everything that could go wrong does go wrong, and your hopes and dreams lie in shattered pieces at your feet. Those are the moments when your heart aches with the bitterness of unfulfilled longings, broken promises, or grief so powerful it threatens to take you to your knees. And we're certain that the painful moments we have rob us of joy and cause us to doubt God's wisdom, his goodness, and his mercy. So is joy really a possibility for our messed up lives? Or is joy just a biblical word that has nothing to do with real life? These are questions that we have all have had at some point in our life. And we may never have felt comfortable voicing them out loud, but they have rolled around inside our head, especially in your most difficult moments. Have you ever wondered why some people seem to experience deep joy in their daily lives, even in the toughest times, and others can't seem to find joy no matter how hard they search? Many of us eventually give up the pursuit, assuming we were unfortunate enough to have been standing on the wrong side of the door when God was handing out joy. But rejoicing is not about our circumstances or about how we feel. It is definitely not about living in denial and ignoring sorrow or pain. But joy is something much deeper and definitely more accessible than you might have thought. That's the beauty of the joy that God offers. Because God's joy will always be available to us. In this world, we will have trouble, Jesus says. And we can take, still take heart. We can still receive joy. Because we are not dependent on anyone or anything other than God and ourselves to know joy. But we know that rejoicing doesn't always come easy. The Bible also says not to worry about anything. But many of us, especially me, spend a good portion of every waking hour worried or anxious about something. Like how I'm going to get back from the airport. How could God reasonably expect us not to worry? And what about James 1-2? When troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Really? Well, when trouble comes my way, my first thoughts aren't usually about experiencing great joy. My reaction is more along the lines of fear, panic, worry, and even hopelessness. Hardly an opportunity for great joy. But to the Christian, these words rejoice always is not an option. Once you realize rejoicing is the powerful spiritual weapon that it is, you'll want to do it on a daily basis. If your heart is fixed on an attitude of rejoicing, no storm of adversity will ever keep you down. From a prison cell, Paul wrote the words, rejoice in the Lord always. And just in case we didn't get it the first time, he repeats it. 
He doesn't tell us that it would be nice if we rejoiced or that he would suggest that we rejoice or that we should take a seminar in rejoicing. He says, just do it. Rejoicing should be the normal course of the Christian life. We should view rejoicing in the same way we view the instructions to love one another, to tell the truth and other commandments that the Lord made. Rejoicing is a mindset rather than a particular set of circumstances. It would be foolish for Paul to tell the people to have lots of money always or be healthy always or to live in the sunshine always. The reason it would be foolish is because these are things that are often out of our control. We can take good care of ourselves and still get a deadly disease. We can pray for good health and still die. We can enjoy the sunshine but we can't control the weather, and sometimes we need rain. There are many times we can't control our income. A job gets downsized, heating bills, especially in Alaska, are out of sight, or an unexpected illness drains your reserve. Some things are beyond our control. But Paul does seem to imply that the attitude of rejoicing is something that we can control. We can choose to live a life joyfully. Rejoicing and happiness are not the same thing. Happiness is tied to your circumstances. We're happy when things go well, when we get a promotion, when we hear the applause of the crowd, and when we know success. But happiness disappears when life is difficult, when sickness strikes your family when someone we love dies, and when we face an unpleasant ta task, and when we have to confront criticism. We cannot be happy about any of those things. But rejoicing and having joy is different from happiness. Joy is an attitude. It is how we approach life rather than a reaction to life. Rejoicing is a way of looking at life that is not affected by our circumstances. Paul rejoiced while he was in prison. He rejoiced as he faced possible execution. Rejoicing is independent of our circumstances. Do you really think that Paul enjoyed being in prison? Wondering if he would ever get out or if he would just die there. No, Paul was saddened by all these things, but he still rejoiced. There will be times when we are discouraged, disappointed, hurt, emotionally exhausted, and confused. These things are just a part of life. But in the midst of painful times, we can still find joy in the Lord. If we want to rejoice as the Lord has called us to rejoice, we need to stay close to the source of joy. There is no substitutes for spending time with the Lord. We must focus on his goodness and his sufficiency. Read about him in the Bible. Talk to him in prayer. Spend time with him in worship. Serve with him in your daily walk. Learn about him from others. The equation is simple. The closer we are to him, the greater the experience of joy in our living. We need to take time to think about his love, his mercy, his goodness, and his grace toward us. Think about where we would be 
without him and take time to recount the many blessings that we have been given. We need to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And the more we dwell on these things, the deeper our joy will become. The key to rejoicing is knowing that Jesus is in me and I am in him. Even when we find ourselves passing through pain, sorrow, grief, and the cares of this life, we rejoice because he said he will never leave us nor forsake us. Amen. Amen. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 5, we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials because we know how troubles can develop patience in us. And patience develops strength of character in us and helps us trust God more each time we use it until finally our hope and faith are strong and steady. Our inner attitudes do not have to reflect our outward circumstances. Paul could rejoice even in prison because he knew that no matter what happened to him, Jesus was always with him. Even if we are in the middle of despair right now, we can experience joy. It's not out of our reach. Happiness in and of itself will never be enough. It's simply too flimsy, too unreliable, too unpredictable. We were meant for something more. We were meant to rejoice. God created us to be joyful. You and I get to decide if we're going to choose joy, which was bought and paid for by Jesus' death, or not. When you think about it like that, it's hard to imagine why any of us would ever refuse God's gift of joy. But sometimes we do. In the book called Finding Joy, No Matter What You're Going Through, someone wrote these words. I used to think that life was a series of hills and valleys. Sometimes we're up, then we're down. But I've come to realize that life is much more like a set of parallel train tracks with joy and sorrow running inseparably throughout our days. Every day of our lives, good things happen. Beauty, pleasure, fulfillment, and perhaps even excitement occur. That's the track of joy. But every day also, our lives hold disappointment, challenges, struggles, even losses for us are those we love. That's the track of sorrow. Most of us try to outsmart the sorrow track by concentrating our efforts on the joy track, as if by our positive outlook or outright denial of reality, we can make the sorrow track go away. But that's impossible. Because joy and sorrow will always be linked together. When we are experiencing pain, we are also aware of the sweetness of loving and the beauty still to be found. Likewise, at the exact moment we are full of happy delight, we have the nagging realization that things still aren't quite perfect. No matter how positive we think or how hard we try to visualize only happiness, the sorrow track remains. One of our toughest challenges in life is to learn how to live on both of those tracks at the same time. During our lifetime, we stand on the tracks looking for signs of Jesus' return. We watch for the sights and sounds that will alert us that his appearance is very close. We stare into the horizon hoping to catch a glimpse of him. One day in the brightness of his coming, we will meet him face to face. 
And when we do, the tracks of joy and sorrow will merge together. The sorrow will disappear forever, and only the joy will remain. And everything will finally make sense. Thank you, Jesus. But until that day comes, we live with the parallel tracks of joy and sorrow. The story of Corrie ten Boom, the woman who helped many Jews escape the Nazi Holocaust, relates an incident which taught her the principle of rejoicing. She and her sister Betsy had just been transferred to the worst German prison camp they had seen yet, Ravensbrück. Upon entering the barracks, they found them extremely overcrowded and flea-infested. Their scripture reading that morning in 1 Thessalonians had reminded them to rejoice always, pray constantly, and give thanks in all circumstances. Betsy told Corey to stop and rejoice and thank the Lord for every detail of their new living quarters. Corey at first flatly refused to give thanks for the fleas, but Betsy persisted. So Corey gave thanks for the fleas. During the months spent at that camp, they were surprised to find how openly they could hold Bible study and prayer meetings without the guards' interference. It was several months later when they learned that the guards would not enter the barracks because of the fleas. So they learned to rejoice together, not in their circumstances, but in the Lord, even in the bad times. So today, we rejoice together, knowing that we are loved by God, knowing that we are forgiven by his grace, knowing that he will never leave us or forsake us, knowing that there will be a day with no more tears, no more pain, and no more fears. There will be a day when the burdens of this place will be no more and we'll see Jesus face to face. I know the journey seems long and we feel like we're walking on our own, but there has never been a step where we have walked alone. So we hold on to the hope and the promise that he brings that in heaven there will be no more suffering. So don't lose heart because joy and peace he brings and all the beauty that's in store for us outweighs the hurt of life's sting. So here, today, right now, we rejoice together knowing that nothing can ever separate us from his love, our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, and even the powers of hell cannot keep God's love away from us. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Sister Glover just texted a little bit ago, and Brother Glover's sister just died. We need to pray for comfort in that family. Two deaths in just a short amount of time. Two deaths in the farmer household in just a short amount of time. I don't know what Satan is trying to accomplish, but whatever it is, it's not going to be discouragement. Whatever. Whatever. So in Jesus' name, we ask you right now to reach down into the household of the Glovers, Lord Jesus. Give them comfort, the farmers, oh God. Give them comfort, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all things that you do, and you do them well. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You may be seated. 
Sister Abbott, are you here somewhere? Phoebe? There you are. Sister Phoebe, I'd like for you to introduce our brand new baby that was born during the afternoon service today. Amen. What is it? Connie Stark. And this is your first time in a Pentecostal church, am I correct, today? And God filled her with the Holy Ghost this afternoon. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. A long time ago, I preached a sermon, and I said, is this a nursery or a nursing home? And what I talked about was the difference that you feel when you walk into a nursery in a hospital where there's been a brand new baby born. We all become dawdly idiots, you know. Oh, look at that sweet little thing. Isn't this exciting? And there's just this spirit of excitement all about you. You know, you just do all sorts of things. Oh, kitchy, kitchy, goop, you know, and just act crazy. And you walk, I walk into nursing homes. We go into the nursing home um, in, in Sodatna. I don't think I like going there because I found out a couple times ago, weeks ago or a month ago or so, I was sitting there and I was saying to some of those old people, and how old, real old people, I was saying, well, how old are you? Do you know? And of course, the little aide was there and they were telling me and I thought, I'm older than you. So I thought, let's go to the next one. As it turned out, I was the oldest person sitting at the table. It was not a pleasant moment. <laughs> but when you go into a nursing home, there's no gitchy-gitchy-goo. There's no talking in a little squeaky voice because it's a place where people are dying. But when you walk into a nursery where people are coming alive, that's so exciting. And so when we have someone who's filled with the Holy Ghost, it's an exciting moment. So I'm glad this was a nursery this afternoon. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And let me tell you that if there's anybody else here that doesn't have the Holy Ghost, this is your weekend. This is your weekend. Now, I know that you don't like, and I don't either, like to hear people who have all these ailments and they talk about their ailments. But I have an analogy to make this afternoon. I hope I make it, and I hope you don't get bored with my, my talking about my ailments. But I'm going to start out by talking about my ailments just a little bit. Some time ago, I had cancer. Now, cancer is a bad thing to have in your body, and they have to cut that baby out and try to get rid of it. And so I'm just merrily floating through. No, I wasn't doing it merrily, but I was doing it, floating through the cancer routine and getting it cut out and getting the, the uh, treatments that went with it and getting past it. Cancer is an insidious invader of your life. It's a wound that's happening on the inside, and oftentimes, you know, you're aware that this wound is there, and it's a, it's a scary word when you have cancer. There's, there are moments, you know, when you um, 
when you have maybe some doubts or fears or some of these things, um, you become well acquainted with the ceiling of your bedroom about 3 o'clock every morning when your eyes pop open and you're thinking about the results of this cancer. But I got over it. But unknown, unbeknownst to me, inside of me was something growing, not a cancer, but a result of the cancer treatment. It was growing and growing, but I did not have any kind of an idea that this thing was growing. And then came the day when I started having um, a lot of UTIs. Now, UTI in itself is not deadly, but it leads to sepsis, which is deadly. It can lead to sepsis. And so, because I am um, the bane of my daughter Kim's life, who thinks in medical terms, and I think in, well, I got to get this done. I don't have time to be sick, and I don't care if I do have a fever of 925 degrees. I am getting back up on my feet and moving. And my daughter would, she would, she came in my bedroom and said, what's the matter, Mom? Oh, I don't feel real well, but I'm going to be all right. And she took my temperature and carried on, you know, and said, get up, Mom. We're going to the doctor now. Well, I don't want to get up. I don't want to get dressed. I don't want to comb my hair. I just want to be sick for a few minutes here, and then I'll be back on my feet. Get up, Mom. We're going to the doctor now. And usually when I got into the doctor, I was in serious shape. I wound up staying in the hospital. And then they would say, call the family in. Your mother's not going to make it through the night. Because this little something was growing on the inside of me that I didn't know what it was. But it was scar tissue. And what this scar tissue was doing at that particular time, the beginning of it, was it was wrapping itself around two little tubes that go from your kidneys to your bladder called your ureters. It was wrapping itself around the one on my right side so that my kidney was becoming non-functional. It could not do what it was supposed to do. And I think, Kim, was it four times that I had sepsis? And four times they didn't think I would live through the night. So I, this, this little insidious thing called scar tissue was about to kill me. And so one of the urologists decided that they had to do some kind of something for this, and he cut into me. And he said later on, he said, that scar tissue was just like cement. And it was wrapped around my artery and my vein going down to my leg and my ureter. So he cut that and tried to feed it into my other ureter. And unfortunately, that compromised the other ureter, and now I had no ureters. So my kidneys were totally non-functional. And I wound up in a hospital out in Indiana. I wound up in a hospital in Louisville, Kentucky for 12 days while they were trying to figure out how I was going to live. But my life span was shortening by the moment. And they sent me to a hospital in Indiana, the uh, medical center there in Indianapolis, and a specialist who was about the only one who could do this surgery gave me two brand new ureters made out of small intestine. And voila, 
I was back on my feet again, and my kidneys came back to life. But I didn't know that that scar tissue issue was not over yet. And so I was having trouble with food, and it just got to the point where it was best if I didn't eat because just, I didn't know what was going to hurt me so badly. But now the, the ureters, when, you're, when your kidneys are failing, you don't have a lot of pain, but you have a lot of tiredness. I was so tired, and I just could not, I just had a hard time functioning. The scar tissue was causing me some real trouble with lethargy. <laughs> Um, which it really wasn't lethargy because that's not my personality. I am an A-type personality, and I like to be on the move all the time and doing something. And I was trying to accomplish things, but the scar tissue was causing me to not have the strength to do it. But this other issue was painful. It hurt, hurt, hurt. If I ate something, it hurt. And I've, they tried to find out what in the world was going on. And finally, one night, Kim came in again, my little forceful daughter, who's just like her mother. Somebody said today, well, Kristen looks just like you, and Kim looks just like her dad. And I said, yep, they, that's what happens. They, Kristen looks like me, Kim looks like her dad, but Kim acts like me, and Kristen acts like her dad. <laughs> we, we have the looks and the, and the personalities mixed up, but Kim said to me, you're going to the hospital, Mom, you're going right now. Well, I went to the doctor, and the doctor looked at me and said, you're going straight to the hospital right now, Mrs. Churchill, don't even argue with me. I think Kim must have talked to her first. But I went to the hospital, and all these horrible things they have to do to you. You know, I would like to give you some advice. If you ever go to the hospital and they say to you, we are going to put a G-N-G tube down your nose, I don't care if you got the whole backside of your gown flapping open and there's nothing underneath it. It doesn't matter. Get up and run. <laughs> Let it flap. Because <laughs> that thing is not nice. But anyway, I wound up the doctor coming in my room that night and saying to me, Mrs. Churchill, we have to do emergency surgery right now. And I'm not going to go into all the miracles that happened during that time because through all of this, it was a miracle of God where I was and how it was taken care of. But they, so the doctor took with two other doctors during the night and I, I do want to say this one thing. That doctor's wife stayed on her knees and prayed for me for, what, five hours, Kim? Five hours. Because her husband called and said, I've got a surgery, and she's probably not going to make it. And it's Kim's mom. And so she started praying. I'm thankful for that. But later on, he told me, and probably Kim and my husband and children know more about what they said than I do, but the, he said that scar tissue and adhesions together had made my intestines stick to my back wall, and, and they were so tightly wrapped that there was no room for any kind of, flu, of food to pass through my intestines any longer, and it was horribly painful. 
So one of the scar tissue issues was that I became so tired. And the other issue was that I had so much pain. And it all went back to a cancer that I had had and the treatment for that cancer and radiation and surgeries to take care of it. Scar tissue keeps on growing. It's the gift that keeps on giving when it's on the inside of you because it's in a warm, moist area and it just keeps on growing. And you don't even know what's happening until you're like me. You're lying there and they're saying you're not going to live. He's saying we don't have an antidote for the blood thinner paradoxa that you are on, but there was one and there was one dose in Alaska and somebody flew it on a little plane down there that night and God took the care of that. But all these miracles, one after another, lined up. But the doctor, I, did, I could not take care of that scar tissue issue on my own, no matter what my personality was. And it's a good thing I have a daughter who said, get up, Mom, we're going in now. Get up, Mom. She had to do it repeatedly. And she would tell you that her mother's very stubborn because I kept thinking, I can take care of this all by myself, and I am not going to succumb to some little thing that's trying to hurt me because that's my personality. I wanted to just get well, and I didn't want any outside interference. I didn't want to go to the hospital. I don't like going to the hospital. I don't like having doctors. And I don't like people knowing that I'm in the hospital. I would, that would kill my, my mind because I'd think, oh, boy, now then the whole district's going to know. Sister Churchill's back in the hospital again, and she's not going to live through the night. So there was the knowledge, you know, that I'm embarrassed I'm stubborn, I want to take care of this by myself, but I needed that doctor, and I had to have those specialists who could take care of this problem that I could not take care of. And so I had the specialist, but he wasn't alone. I don't know who all is in, some of you are nurses I know and you know more than I do about who all's in the operating room, but I know there's an anesthesiologist, I know there's a nurse that hands them tools, I know there are nurses that do this and look at that and run this and there's a team effort that's in that room. There is a specialist, but there's a team effort. And there are other people who are trained to do what they're going to do. And the outside people could take care of what was inside of me when I was unable to do that. So the analogy that I want to draw from this today is that over the years, I have dealt with Brother Churchill and I together collectively have been in the ministry 50 years this summer together. And both of us were, I'm not saying that to get any applause, but I'm just saying, and, and both of us were preaching before we were married to each other. So we've been in the ministry for many years. And so over the years, I have run into people 
who are hurting, hurting, hurting. And many of them are hurting because of scar tissue, because of a wounded spirit that's on the inside of them. But I find that so many of them are like me. They want to take care of it themselves. They would rather suffer than to get outside help. But you are not going to get rid of a wounded spirit. And that scar tissue is going to choke you to death if you don't do something. You may find yourself lethargic. You may find yourself in pain. You may find yourself waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning, staring at the ceiling, wondering what you're going to do. But that wounded spirit is going to be the spiritual death of you until you begin to reach out to the specialist. Now, we're not the specialist. God is. But God has trained, is willing to train people that will be in the operating room with him and can reach out and help. And you know how you get your training? Brother Jimmy Blackshear I said to my husband the other night, well, he's just trying to tromp over my message, so I changed my message a little bit. But it, he was saying, the disciples were saying, why can't we do this? Why can't we do this? And Jesus said, it's because you haven't been to school and learned how to do it, and here's what you do. Here's what you do. You pray and you fast. And when you begin to pray and fast, you become operating room assistants. God will do the surgery, but you can be the assistant. If you're not the patient, you might be an assistant. And where are all these, where does the need for all of these um, wounded spirit? How do you get a wounded spirit? That's like a cancer. And you think you're all over that cancer. Well, one of the things that some of you may have had is an original cancer, and you don't know, but you're still carrying that wounded spirit on the inside of you, that scar tissue that's eating you up, is negative, critical words that have come to you from the past. I love the Proverbs 18 chapter. In fact, if I could give you a homework assignment today, I would say to you, I would like for you to read that whole, whole chapter. But in Proverbs 18, it says, The words of a man's mouth are as deep waters and the wellspring of wisdom as a flowing brook. So words, words can be deep and a wellspring. They can, be, they can be wonderful to you. But a fool's lips enter into contention. And his mouth calleth for strokes or for, for battle. The words of a talebearer are as wounds, it says. And later on in that chapter, it says, The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear? And in verse 21, it says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Words and negative thoughts can have been inflicted upon one of you today. I don't know. I am not going to ask questions. 
But I want you to think about things that have been said to you over the past years that were a cancer, and you thought it was removed, but it has wounded you on the inside, and the scar tissue from that thing keeps you from being as effective as you want to be. When they did this last surgery last January, the one that opened up my intestines so that they could have, I could eat food, you can't believe how wonderful it was to eat popcorn or corn or a nut or a piece of lettuce. So many things that I had not tasted or allowed past my lips for so long because I was denied so many good things because of the scar tissue. It was going to cause me too much pain. And sometimes your scar tissue doesn't allow you to really, really enjoy the fullness of everything that God has for you because you are wounded. Your spirit has been wounded. Sometimes we are wounded by things that we have done, sexual immorality, and we think that we're all over it, but those things will come back. That scar tissue will eat at your brain, eat at your mind, make you think you're not what you ought to be because it's wounded your spirit. Sometimes it's just a satanic attack. Scar tissue, he loves to give us scar tissue because scar tissue will render you helpless. Eventually, you are helpless. That last time that I went into the hospital before they did the intestinal surgery, I was writhing in pain. It, it's a horrible pain. You, uh, I mean, it's just a horrible pain. I can tolerate quite a bit of pain, but that was intolerable. And I was just writhing in pain. I was helpless. I couldn't accomplish anything except focus on the pain. And that's what happens. Satan wants you to do nothing but focus on the pain. And so you are so focused on the pain that you can't do as Sister Parrish so beautifully brought to us today. And don't ever say you can't speak because you can, and I know you can. But... <clears throat> You focus on the pain instead of the joy of the Lord. You focus on the pain instead of the hope that he gives to you. You focus on the pain instead of, and instead of his loveliness and his kindness to you. It causes you not to be able to help anybody else. When I was writhing in that pain, I could not have encouraged anyone else. I couldn't have helped them. They would stand back and wring their hands. What can we do for her? You can't do a thing for me until this thing is removed. I can't be helped by just an ordinary person. I've got to have the help of a specialist at this particular time. Maybe your cancer was unforgiveness. I recently talked to someone, and I'm telling you the story, if I, would, if I would tell you the story, but I'm not going to tell you the story. But if I were to tell you the story, you would be just like me. And I said to her, you have every right to be angry. You have every right. This is a horrible story. And this person, these persons who are doing this to you are 
sinners. They are not sinners. They're actually in the church. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, if we want to boil it down according to the Word of God, they're sinning. They're doing something very, very wrong against you. And I can agree with you every step of the way. Oh, I would just like to go bash their head in for you. But the, the thing is, I said, this is the hardest thing I got to say out of my mouth, but you have to forgive them. You have done nothing to them. That is true. But you have to forgive now. I said, you don't have to go back into the situation. You don't have to be friends with them. You don't have to hang around them. You don't have to go back into that situation. No, you don't. But you've got to forgive. Some years ago, we had Sister Kim Haney that came, and in fact, she spoke here at this church. And one of the things that she did was she draped herself with chains. I don't know if you remember that. But she talked about her relationship with her brother. And it so convicted me because here I sat listening to her message. And I'm thinking, I've served God so many years. I, I have a ministerial license. I preach to other people. I, I stand up as a minister's wife. I stand up as a minister. I, I, I'm doing everything right but as she spoke to me, I realized I'm not going to heaven. And I was playing the organ the next Sunday morning after that service, and I was sitting at that organ, and all of a sudden, the tears started rolling down my face, and God really let me know, you're not going to heaven. Because I had a brother who had done things against me, um, with it was with a variety of things, nothing physical, but I hated him because of the way he was being, and it had turned from disgust and anger, it had finally turned into full-blown hatred. And I wrote him a letter, and I, I, because I realized I wasn't going to heaven, and I had better get this thing taken care of. So I justified myself as I wrote this letter, and I said, if I have offended you, I knew I hadn't offended him. He had offended me. But I wrote, if I have offended you, please forgive me. And I thought, this is a pretty good letter. I'm, I'm a fairly decent writer, and, you know, I put those words down on that paper. They were fairly flowery and nice. And the Lord said, you're not going to heaven. Tear that paper up. And I had to rewrite it and say, I'm sorry I have offended you. I had to take the blame. And when I sent it off to him, it wasn't, I didn't hear a word back from him. I said to my other brother, I sent my other brother a copy of the letter. And I said to my other brother, have you heard from him? Has he said anything? He said, no, not a word. And it just so happened that within about three weeks of that, I was in the hospital with sepsis. They said to my family, to Kim, call your family in. My daughter was not living there at the time. And they said, call your, your, your family has to come in because your mom's not going to last through the night. And the telephone, my husband came in and said, on his cell phone, he said, can you hear me? You've got a phone call. And I said, 
put it up here, and it was that brother crying, saying, I love you, sis. I love you, sis, and I'm sorry. And I thought, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. <laughs> Hallelujah. And the next morning when the family all came, the heirs came that day. The black shears had come down, I think. Others, the Glovers had gathered in because she's not going to live through the night. My, some of them went on home. I think Kim spent the night in the hospital room. The next morning when they came back to the hospital expecting to see somebody dead, I was sitting out in the waiting room with my little IV pole reading a newspaper saying, hello, everybody. <laughs> but you see, what happened was I had to forgive. Whether I was right or whether I was wrong, I had to forgive. And if you have things in your life today that cancer, the scar tissue from unforgiveness will choke the life out of you. And you won't go to heaven. That's black and white. That's a sin. You've got to forgive. So unforgiveness is a scar tissue that will wound your spirit and render you absolutely helpless. Another thing, though, some things are from the outside that happen, but betrayal. And Kristen so beautifully talked about some of these things this morning, and others have. It's all clicked together. But betrayal, sometimes you feel betrayed. You have been betrayed by someone. You think you get over it, but the scar tissue is still there, and it's growing. And you cannot get rid of it on your own. You have got to have the Lord do the surgery. And he needs helpers who have prayed and fasted and said, I can pray, I can pray. Why can't we have these things? Why can't we have healed people and wounded spirits healed in our churches? Because we haven't fasted and prayed enough. The Lord is able to do it, but he needs you to be his assistant. Sometimes you have a wounded spirit from false accusations. It might have come from divorce. It might have come from relationships cut through a death. It might come from having to act like an adult when you were a child. It might have come from incest. It might have come from prostitution. It might have come from other abuses, emotional, mental, physical, sexual verbal, but whatever the wound that the cancer came from, and you can pretend and pretend and pretend, and you can be as tough as you want to be and think you can handle it by yourself. I am telling you today until you get rid of that baggage, you are not going to function the way God wants you to function in his, kid, in his kingdom. Sometimes we wonder why we're not as spiritually astute as we should be or why we do not have the strength to overcome things. Why we, you know, sometimes people leave the church. They just leave the church. And we wonder, what happened? It's most usually because of some wound 
that was never taken care of. And the scar tissue grew on the inside. And Satan will see to it that there's a warm, moist atmosphere for that scar tissue to continue to grow, to continue to grow. You are so sensitive about it. And every once in a while, you figure it out because you eat something that you shouldn't have. And what I mean by that is you hear a word. They're talking about me. They've read my mind. They know something about me. They're just trying to hurt me. When you begin to think those kind of things, you need to say, I need the specialist. Because I need this cut out of me right now. Because most of the time, when you are so sensitive about things that you think somebody's saying or doing or feeling or looking, it's not them at all. It's because it's been a piece of popcorn. <laughs> because you had a little bit of broccoli. It's because something, something touched that part of you that is scar tissue. And you need to get rid of it. We cannot afford to have a wounded spirit. Many years ago, I heard a story. And actually, it's an Aesop's fable story. But it's about uh, an eagle. And the eagle is flying through the air. And all of a sudden, this takes place back in the time when the Indians were roaming the West. And, and all of a sudden, the eagle is brought down by an, a bow and arrow. And the arrow pierces the eagle. And according to the Aesop's fable, the eagle looks down at the arrow and he sees the feathers, and one of them was his own feather that had dropped to the ground. And he's killed by his own feather on an Indian's uh, arrow. But many times in our lives, we are brought down by things that we have not taken care of. We're brought down by our own feather that we need to have gotten rid of a long time ago. I'm telling you today that you may need some chains broken. You may need some surgery from the Lord. And we should get rid of our pride. I cannot tell you the number of times that Kim had to come in because I had some pretty severe near-death experiences more than one time. And it was all brought on by scar tissue, every bit of it. But she would say, Mom, get up now, because we're going to the hospital now, Mom. Don't lie there in that bed and feel like you can take care of this on your own. You cannot, Mom. Your temperature is way too high, Mom. You're writhing in pain, Mom. Get up, Mom. Let's get to the doctor now, Mom. And every time I would get short with her because she's my daughter and I'm her mother, so I can say, Kim, I can take care of this by myself. But Kim's just as stubborn as her mother. And she would say, get up, Mom. We're going now. Either get up or I'm calling the ambulance. Get up, Mom. 
Some of you need to have the same thing said to you. You need to get up and say, okay, I need help, and I cannot do this by myself. But God can break every chain, every chain. And those of us who are not maybe having... We don't have any scar tissue, and praise God for that because it's been cut out. But we can be the assistants. Don't you want to be an operating room assistant with the Lord Jesus Christ? I can't cut out scar tissue, but he can. But I can hand him the equipment. I've prayed, I've fasted. I've prayed, I've fasted. I've prayed, I've fasted. Right now, Lord Jesus, I can lay my hands on these people. I've prayed and I've fasted, and it can be done. We need to be willing, thank you, Lord, be willing to break every chain and get rid of the wounded spirits that are inside of us. If you have a wounded spirit today, there's no sense leaving this lady's retreat with that scar tissue still inside of you because it's not going to get any better. It will continue and to grow and to grow and to grow and to grow. I know the doctor, when he did this surgery, said to me, Mrs. Churchill, scar tissue will continue to grow. I can guarantee you that you're going to be better right now, but it may grow again. But when God cuts those things out of you, the growing is stopped. It's over with. And scar tissue might be the issue that would keep you out of heaven. If you have a wounded spirit, you think that's, you think, oh, I'm all over that now, but then some little thing will push your button. Well, so-and-so did this to me one time. So-and-so said that to me one time. So-and-so caused me to do this. Sorry to inform you. Your spirit's still wounded. And until we take care of our wounded spirits, we're not going to be effective in the kingdom of God. I wish you would stand with me this morning, this afternoon. And I pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, that whatever might be keeping you from being fully functional in the kingdom of God would be broken today in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let us pray together as they sing. Oh, God, we pray right now, Lord Jesus, that your will would be done, oh, God, that you would help us, Lord Jesus, to be made whole today, oh God, and that everything that has ever bound us and kept us from having full victory in you, Lord Jesus, would be removed right now. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we plead. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus.